Welcome to Digital Yom, a podcast about living a symbolic life in a technological age. Man cannot stand a meaningless life. I'm Jason Smith, Jungian analyst and author of Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life. And in this episode, we talk about what it means to live an authentic life and how it can bring us to a place of resilience and meaning. It's the human soul. That's the very treasure. What follows in this episode was originally written as a blog post back in April of 2014, and was titled Carl Jung on Living an Authentic Life. I've edited and updated the content, but the substance and the main points of what I originally wrote remain the same. Regular listeners of this podcast will no doubt recognize a similarity between much of what I say about the authentic life and what I regularly speak of on this podcast, the symbolic life. In many ways, the idea of the authentic life was the precursor for my current focus on the symbolic life. The two ideas are not exactly the same thing, but As you'll hear, there is a strong resonance and relationship between the two ideas. So here is Living an Authentic Life. It could be argued that at the heart of the Jungian perspective is the aim of experiencing and living an authentic life. Now, I admit that this is not the language that Carl Jung used, but it can be a helpful way to understand one of the central ideas of his psychology, which is the concept of individuation. Now, put very simply, individuation is the process by which an individual becomes more fully oneself and more comfortably and spontaneously expresses the fullness of one's deepest self. And a major part of the work of individuation involves differentiating oneself from conformity with collective values, which does not necessarily mean rejecting those values, but rather it it means the ability to choose the values by which one will live, instead of merely living out social norms in an unreflective and unconscious way. In other words, the individuation process is a deepening and maturing of one's individuality and sense of authenticity. 
So how do we begin to do this work of individuation, of living an authentic life? Well, let me suggest five points, drawing on Jung's own words, that can offer us something of a map by which we can orient ourselves as we take on this important work. Number one, discover yourself. The authentic life begins, says Jung, with going within. This, however, is not a popular undertaking, especially in a culture like the United States, which has such a large bias toward extroversion. But it is a necessary undertaking. As Jung says, looking outwards has got to be turned into looking into oneself. Discovering yourself provides you with all you are, were meant to be, and all you are living from and for. We might think of discover yourself as Jung's version of the ancient philosophical maxim, know thyself. And that it's possible to discover oneself, of course, suggests that there is more to us and in us than we know consciously. And this is precisely Jung's point. We are mostly a mystery to ourselves. We do not know all we are. And if that's the case, then we're probably only living part of what we were meant to live. The mysterious part of our personality Jung calls an irrational factor, meaning that it's not under our rational and conscious control. It is, however, close at hand. In fact, it is whatever you find in your given disposition, he says. Now, we might say that we are at one and the same time both a great mystery to ourselves and the most intimately familiar thing. And this is how Jung describes it. He says, the whole of yourself is certainly an irrational entity, but this is just precisely yourself, which is meant to live as a unique and unrepeatable experience. Thus, whatever you find in your given disposition is a factor of life which must be taken into careful consideration. Point number two, learn from traditional wisdom. One of the consequences of giving careful consideration to what one finds in one's given disposition is that it essentially frees us from the dilemma of deciding whether the beliefs we hold, in particular our religious and spiritual beliefs, whether they're right or not. A right belief, from this perspective, is one that works, one that is helpful to us, one that leads us to a meaningful existence. To this end, 
Jung makes a fairly audacious suggestion. He says, if you should find, for instance, an eradicable tendency to believe in God or immortality, do not allow yourself to be disturbed by the blather of so-called freethinkers. And if you find an equally resistant tendency to deny all religious ideas, do not hesitate. Deny them and see how that influences your general welfare and your state of mental or spiritual nutrition. The debate between science and religion, between atheists and believers, is not new to our time. And Jung, it could be said, in his own life lived both sides of it. He made statements that denied belief in God, while at the same time hinted at having knowledge and experience of God. He taught that both God and matter were symbols of something ultimately unknowable. And he felt that insisting on the exclusive and dogmatic rightness of one's personal view was a kind of childishness. If you believe, believe. If you don't, don't. To Jung, living an authentic life is as simple and as difficult as that. Ultimately, however, Jung felt that a human life needed a larger perspective and meaning, and it was his conviction that the wisdom traditions of the world could direct a person to that kind of perspective. In case of doubt, he said, Try to learn from the traditional wisdom of all times and peoples. This gives you ample information about the so-called eternal ideas and values which have been shared by mankind since earliest times. One should not be deterred by the rather silly objection that nobody knows whether these old universal ideas, God, immortality, freedom of the will, and so on, are true or not. Truth is the wrong criterion here. One can only ask whether they are helpful or not, whether man is better off and feels his life more complete, more meaningful, and more satisfactory with or without them. Number three. Do not seek happiness. In today's consumer and marketing culture, much of the messaging that we receive might tempt us to equate the authentic life with a happy life. But Jung, frankly, is skeptical about the pursuit of happiness. He does not deny happiness. And he does have some thoughts about the factors that constitute a happy life. Among these factors are included such things as satisfactory work 
and a philosophic or religious point of view capable of coping successfully with the vicissitudes of life. He warns, however, that we don't always know what would make us happy. As he says, nobody can achieve happiness through preconceived ideas. One should rather call it a gift of the gods. It comes and goes. And what has made you happy once does not necessarily do so at another time. In this statement, Jung sounds very much like Viktor Frankl, who taught that happiness should not be sought, but that out of a meaningful engagement with the world, happiness ensues. Furthermore, according to Jung, happiness cannot exist without its opposite. Even a happy life, he asserts, cannot be without a measure of darkness, and the word happy would lose its meaning if it were not balanced by sadness. Instead of happiness, Jung's prescription is to pursue something akin to what today we would call mindfulness. As is clear when he states, the more you deliberately seek happiness, the more sure you are not to find it. It is therefore far better to take things as they come along with patience and equanimity. Point number four, tend your inner life. Now to accept life as it comes along with patience and equanimity, as any teacher of mindfulness would likely agree, is simple, but by no means is it easy. For Jung, it means having the capacity to adapt and adjust not only to life as it happens in the world around us, but also to the movement of life that emerges from within us. For each of us, the authentic life is a reflection of our own unique and unrepeatable self seeking to express itself in the world. And so, according to Jung, the urge to become what one is, is invincibly strong. And you can always count on it. But that does not mean that things will necessarily turn out positively. If you are not interested in your own fate, the unconscious is. That last sentence is a powerful statement and an important warning. If you are not interested in your own fate, the unconscious is. Our authentic life wants to be lived through us and we ignore it to our peril. But if we tend it and attempt to live it consciously, that is, if we work with it and not against it, 
then life can flow in a satisfying way. And for Jung, the primary means of aligning with this inner urge is by paying attention to our dreams. Dreams, he teaches, reflect the underlying pattern of which our lives are the outward expression. They give us access to the whole of who and what we are. The dream is a little hidden door in the innermost and most secret recesses of the soul, is one of Jung's most famous descriptions of this natural activity of the unconscious. Dreams, he goes on to say, show us the unvarnished natural truth and are therefore fitted as nothing else is to give us back an attitude that accords with our basic human nature when our consciousness has strayed too far from its foundations and run into an impasse. Dreams, in other words, can lead us to our most authentic self. And finally, point number five, an unconditional yes. So what is the point of all of this? Why should a person strive to live an authentic life? Well, the main reason to do this often difficult work, Jung believes, is that when we walk the path of individuation, we find an unshakable foundation for our lives. We're no longer merely identified with the ego, with the narrow, conscious sense of ourselves, but rather that ego becomes rooted in a larger life that gives us resilience, endurance, and meaning in the face of the vicissitudes of life. And here's how Jung expresses this idea in his autobiographical book, Memories, Dreams, Reflections. I might formulate it as an affirmation of things as they are an unconditional yes to that which is, without subjective protests, acceptance of the conditions of existence as I see them and understand them, acceptance of my own nature as I happen to be. It seems that Jung was talking about resilience long before it became a central and somewhat fashionable concern for psychology. But resilience, as he conceived of it, is the outgrowth of living authentically, of allowing the fullest expression of one's being and of affirming who and what one is. So here is Jung's formulation of that resilience that's rooted in an authentic life. He gives us here a picture of the individual at home in him or herself, as well as being 
at home in the universe. And there's no real commentary that needs to be added to this. So I'm simply going to give Jung the last word. And here's what he says. How important it is to affirm one's own destiny. In this way, we forge an ego that does not break down when incomprehensible things happen. An ego that endures, that endures the truth, and that is capable of coping with the world and with fate. Then, to experience defeat is also to experience victory. Nothing is disturbed, neither inwardly nor outwardly, for one's own continuity has withstood the current of life and of time. Until next time. You'll find information in the show notes for all the sources used in this week's episode, as well as links to connect with me on social media. Let's make this a conversation. If you have questions about anything you heard in the episode or that you'd like me to address in a future episode, send them to me on Facebook or Twitter using the hashtag DigitalYung. Thanks for listening and take good care.